0: Good morning everyone. Thank you very much Mrs. Winnell for the beautiful music. Where did she go? There she is sorry <laughs> couldn't couldn't find you there real quick but appreciate that beautiful beautiful song and a beautiful message. Uh, it is good to see everyone here. Good to see all you singles. Uh, hope you enjoyed the opening last night. Uh, really had a had a good good start those of you who are here. And also appreciate our local brethren who have come out uh, this morning. Um, As Mr. League uh, mentioned, uh, actually you can redeem those certificates in the Great White Throne Judgment. So uh, just see me uh, then. I'd like to ask a question this morning. How good are you at building friendships? How good are you at building... Friendships. We started off the, uh, the weekend, the singles weekend, with some topics last night of why are we here, and then talked about the roles and responsibilities of men and women, and now this morning we're going to talk about friendships, Christian friendships. How good are you at building friendships? Now that might seem like a funny question. You know, friendships just happen, right? Uh, friendships are friendships. You're friends with those that you like, and they're friends with you because they like you, and, and it just sort of happens, right? Or maybe is there more to it? Uh, now, you know, sometimes when we're young, it might happen that way. I remember being about, uh, I don't know, four years old or so. I recall one Sabbath, when we were attending church, and uh, after services, I was <clears throat> making my way through the crowd. And of course, at that age, everybody seems about 10 feet tall. And um, I suddenly, I was walking through the crowd, and, and there was another boy in my height just standing in front of me. I'd never met him before, you know. And uh, so I said, hi, you want to be friends? And he said, sure. And we walked off, and we played, and we were friends, you know, and that's... That's as complicated as it was. And yet, later in life, it gets a little bit more complex, doesn't it? It's not that easy. <clears throat> and it becomes a skill that some people are very good at, but many of us struggle at, building friendships. So how well do you build friendships? How good are you At the skill. I'd like to talk about that. Building Christian friendships. We need friendships. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. We do need friendships. We are social uh, beings. We need one another. We were not built to to live in in total isolation. What is one of the most the the one of the most cruel punishments there is. Well, it's it's solitary confinement. It's being cut off uh, totally from any contact with another human being. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. Now, I know this is talking mainly about marriage and God's plan for families. But let me suggest something here. Could it also be, in a a little broader context, talking about aloneness in general? That God was saying, it is not good for people to be alone, that we need one another, we need friendships. Friendships are important. Friendships of the same sex and friendships of the opposite sex, whichever is the opposite. You can figure that out yourself. But you know, they help keep us well-rounded and balanced and give us valuable points of view that we wouldn't come to ourselves, don't they? It's not good for a man or a woman to be alone. If we're not married, <clears throat> do strong and solid, godly and Christian friendships help fill that void. Well, that's, I think, what God designed um, that's part of God's will for us to benefit from strong friendships. Now, all of us need friendships, you know, the singles and the non-singles alike. Isn't it, you know, singles, do you get tired of, of the category that you are called is is kind of non-married, right? The marrieds are, are married and singles are non-married. So maybe we'll give, we'll call you singles today, and the marrieds we'll call non-singles. How about that, okay? <laughs> Everybody else are the non Singles, okay. <clears throat> anyway, whether we're single or non-single, we, we need friendships. Uh, as children, as teens, as elderly, uh, children to parents. You know, one of the great joys in my life has been, uh, as an adult, <clears throat> growing and forging a friendship with my parents. And it's been a, a wonderful experience. We need Friendships. Let's turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse verse 9 It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Or in other words, they can accomplish twice as much as one. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But people who are alone when they fall, they're in real trouble. It's difficult. Verse 11 again, if two lie together, then they can have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Now that has to be in the right context. (laughs) Let's just move on, okay? Uh, Let's not spend a lot of time there. Uh, Verse 12. And a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. You know, we are in a battle against Satan. Not physically, but spiritually, aren't we? And we can support and strengthen one another standing back to back through friendships. But when we isolate ourselves from contact and friendship, then we, we we get in trouble. We're in danger. Proverbs 18, verse 1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. You know, if we cut ourselves off from others, we, we, we tend to lose judgment. We tend to lose the... the balancing impact and effect of others' perspectives. Proverbs twenty seven verse seventeen talks about iron sharpening iron and how valuable that is. I took a cue from Mr. Lyons. I'm just going to list a lot of scriptures today, so you know you can just keep track of how many I have. I'm just joking. How how much do we think about that? How important is that in our life? You know, actually, friendships are even good for us health-wise. Uh, recent studies have, have shown that. Uh, there is a, I, I put together some articles, and I think for you singles, uh, they are in your your folder that we, uh, that you received either last night or, or today. Uh, and for everyone else, for the non-singles, uh, I think we have some extra copies at the back that you can pick up after services. <clears throat> but there's an article back in 2002 in Reader's Digest called Friends, the Secret of a Longer Life. It said this, More than a hundred studies attest to the health benefits of friendship. People with strong social networks are shown to boost their chances of surviving life-threatening illnesses, have stronger, more resilient immune systems, improve their mental health, live longer than people without social support. They're talking about friendships. The importance of having connections to other people that are meaningful. Friendship seems to make a difference when it comes to more mundane ailments, too. In a study at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, researchers rounded up 276 volunteers, dripped cold viruses into their noses, and then quarantined them for five days. Subjects who had a wide range of friends and acquaintances had one-fourth the chance of catching a cold as those whose social networks were minimal. is that interesting? They all had the nose virus, cold virus, dripped into their nose. But those who had strong friendships were less susceptible of coming down with a cold. People with plentiful social support are also less likely to suffer from depression, anxiety, and other types of mental illness. In a 2000 study that tracked more than 1,200 elderly people for three years, Swedish researchers found that those who had satisfying social contacts were 40% less likely to develop dementia than those who had few or unsatisfying relationships. There are health benefits for friendships. It's important. It's crucial for our whole life. Mr. Crockett last night encouraged us all to develop strong friendships and even has a as a, as a goal uh, of this weekend and going forward in our life, to, uh, to not just have a lot of acquaintances, but have strong, deep, true, solid Christian friendships. Building friendships is just like building houses or building machines or creating certain culinary dishes. It takes skill, right? Or building houses and burning them down. I was We were talking, a few of us last night, about a, a certain a tradition that's developed in Wisconsin. And building a house and burning it down, everyone gets together and it's a lot of fun. Like, you can talk to Stephen Triggs if you want to find out more details. <clears throat> there are all kinds of skills that um, that uh, are out there. Mr. O'Gwen and Dr. Scott Winnell spoke last night, also to the men and the, the ladies, about skills, about... Relationship skills and developing these skill sets that are necessary to, to build relationships. They have successful relationships. Let's turn over to Romans chapter, chapter 12 and verse 4. No doubt about it. Some people do seem to have the skills which lend themselves to connecting better to other people. The Bible shows this. Romans chapter 12 and verse, and verse 4. Romans chapter 12 and verse 4. He says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are all part of His one body. And each of us has a different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. And each of us needs all the others. God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. Certain spiritual gifts. So, if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out when you have faith that God is speaking through you. If your gift is that of serving others, serve them well. And some people do seem to have a a serving attitude naturally, uh, just just comes naturally. It's just their proclivity, isn't it? Now, does that mean if 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 I don't have the serving gift, you know, and others are putting up chairs or taking down tables and and you know. I, I'm sorry, I just don't have that gift. You guys, I wouldn't want to interfere on on you guys exercising your spiritual gift of taking down those tables. Well, of course not, you know. Uh, We can grow in in these gifts. But the point is that some do seem to have a particular bent in, in, in certain things. He says going on, if you are a... Teacher, do a good job of teaching. If your gift is to encourage others, do it. Some seem to have the gift of encouragement, don't they? Now again, it, does that mean if we don't have that gift, we can be discouraging, right? We can use all the insults that we want on other people because we just don't have the gift of encouragement. Well, of course not. And yet some do have that gift, right? So we see both sides. Yes, it can be a gift, but but we all have to develop it. He says, if you have money, share it generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Showing kindness is a gift. So if I don't have that gift, you know, I can be downright mean. And I have license to do so. Well, of course not. What about friendship? Is friendship and building friendships and knowing how to do it is that a gift? It, it seems like it. It does come more naturally for some. You know, you've met some people that that um, they they never seem to have an enemy. Everybody likes them. Everybody is their friend. Their relationships all go great. If you are like that, hats off to you. Well done. It's a wonderful gift. And use it. But if you're not that way, you know, for the rest of us, then can we increase what we have? I think we can. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. Let's quickly turn over there. There are some specific things we can do. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. These things can make our lives better. We can live longer. We can be healthier, happier. All has to do with building friendships. Proverbs 18 and verse 24. A man that has friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So, how can we build stronger friendships? Let's turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse verse 1. Philippians 2 and, and, and uh, verse 1, the first seven or eight verses, are, are really fascinating. There's so much in there in terms of, uh, of uh, Christian living, Christian leadership of how to live, how to be like God, how to let Christ live in us. I'm going to talk about this a little bit uh, in terms of friendships. Notice in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, it really summarizes a lot of different things together. He says this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Loving one another and working together with one heart and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. Now, there is a lot in there that we just read over quickly. But in the remaining time, I'd like to focus on several aspects of this that we can we can grow in, we can develop. I'd like you to think about. You might just jog your mind a little bit. There are other things that we could talk about, but there are several things I think that we can we can do that are part of developing the skill set of building strong friendships. Number one, number one, is having an attitude of service. An attitude of service. You know, as Paul was saying there, just getting our minds on serving others, on thinking about their needs, and not just being interested in our own affairs, what's going on in our mind, what's going on in our life, but interested in others as well. Have you ever noticed that's one of the hallmarks of friendship? Of being interested? Just being interested in others. Just caring what others Are thinking about goes a long ways in developing friendships. You know, there are a lot of ways that we can serve one another, but just being interested, I I submit to you, is one of the most profound ways that we can serve. Yes, we need to set up chairs and break down tables, and please, I'm not underestimating that, because we're going to need all you guys to do that uh, later on tonight after the dance. But one of the most profound ways that we can actually serve one another is simply being interested in each other and having an attitude of service that way. Notice in First Corinthians chapter twelve and verse four. 1 Corinthians chapter twelve and verse four. Ask yourself. These questions, where do you rate, where do I rate on, on this scale? Because we all are somewhere on the continuum, you know, on, on having this ability, having this attitude to one degree or another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 4, now there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it is the whole, same Holy Spirit who is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service in the church, but it is the same Lord we are serving. There are different ways God works in our lives, but it is the same God who does the work through all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. So we are given gifts to serve. And we serve in many different ways. You know, we really appreciate the way that um, many of our local brethren here have helped out in ramping up to this weekend. Uh, many of you uh, housing some of the singles that have come in, uh, making food, helping with the preparation. Uh, that, that's a tremendous way to serve. Um, there, there is, uh, the, the Charlotte singles here have done a tremendous job, led by our El Presidente, Mr. Mark Smith. Uh, of the singles group here, uh, really have done a fantastic job. And it's a a way of serving. As I mentioned, before the week is out and the weekend is out, there will be other opportunities to serve, and we we need people to chip in at different times to move this and move that and, and do different things. But just talking and interacting with each other, is that not an act of service? Trying to understand one another. Trying to find things in common with each other. Asking questions to draw each other out. Is that not serving? Even daring to disclose a little bit of ourselves. Taking a risk in trying to deepen a friendship. You know There are ways that we reach out. And we cease to be just an individual and we make a connection with other people. Friendships and relationships are kind of a two-way street, aren't they? It's like a tennis match. Have you ever tried to play at tennis with someone who wouldn't hit the ball back? <laughs> now, you know, I mean, we we, we even the, the concept of service is even in tennis, right? One person serves the ball, and then the other person hits it back. But what if they don't hit it back? Well, a backstop would be better than that, you know. Uh, at least the backstop bounces the ball back, but it, it it takes give and take right? Are we serving in our relationships? Are we striving to to get to know one another it 's interesting how this works. There is another article in this uh, packet of handouts that i that I uh, copied off. It is an article from the uh, magazine Body and Soul. Um, Entitled Fast Friends. It's so magical to just click with someone. Why can't we connect that way every day? Actually, we can, say two New York Times best selling authors who let us in on their secret. And here's what they say According to their theory, the recipe for clicking contains five ingredients for really connecting with people. You know what that means when you really seem to click, you just seem to really connect. Five ingredients, proximity, vulnerability, resonance, similarity, and a safe place. In other words, you're more likely to click with someone if you are in her or his immediate vicinity, disclose something personal, tune into her or his emotions, having something in common, and share a frame of reference via your church, your culture, anything that separates you two from the rest of the world. In other words, they have boiled down different elements that that help people, that that some people just seem to do naturally. And that's why they seem to click with others more. And for the rest of us, there are things that we, we can learn, we can practice, we can develop that this skill set. Uh, in the article, they explain that some people are just wired for this better. There's a term... Uh, that a personality researcher in the 1970s, Mark Snyder, came up with. And he calls people that that really seem to be able to click well with others as high self-monitors. In other words, they they adjust their verbal and nonverbal communications based on the situation they're in and who they're with. The article explains, High self-monitors have an uncanny ability to tune into nuances in conversation and tone to tap into and complement, not just mirror, other people's emotions. High self-monitors complement other people's emotions. They are aware of where the other people are coming from. They're not just focused on what they're thinking. And they don't just mirror the emotions, they complement them. They create the conditions for clicking. They make us feel comfortable and have a way of drawing us out. And isn't that true? There are just some people who seem to draw us out just by being in in their company. We feel comfortable. Why is that? Because this is one of the things that they do naturally or they have kind of figured out. One of the things that, that she advises is asking questions. According to one of the authors... When we're meeting new people, we're worried about what we're going to say, how we appear to them, and so on. But he's found that by focusing on making someone else comfortable, you shift the pressure off of yourself. This may mean taking the lead in asking questions, almost as if you're the host of a talk show and that person is your guest. Kind of an interesting concept. We can serve by asking questions. You know, I, I learned a powerful lesson when I was a college student working for my brother uh, Jonathan over in Thailand. <clears throat> After, uh, uh, when I was uh, over there, we were on the English teaching project, and we had, had a group of eight students that were teaching English, and uh, we all lived in the same building, one apartment for the guys and one for the, uh, the ladies, but we'd, we'd spend a lot of our time together, eating meals and and, and talking and fellowshipping. And, uh, you know, in any group, there will be some who dominate the conversation. There will be some who who pretty much get what they want said, no matter what everyone else does, right? I was not one of those people. You know, I thought, well, leading, taking the lead, would mean I would have to think of something funnier or... uh, you know, smarter or or a a better story than the one that was just said. So oftentimes I would just hold back and I would be content to just listen. That seemed to work for me. You know, I didn't mind. But then my brother talked with us one time and exhorted us to show more leadership in our conversations and even in our discussions. And he pointed out to me a lesson I've never forgotten that everybody needs to contribute to the conversation for it to work. And for someone like me, and he was my brother, so this was kind of hard to take, actually. (laughs) But, you know, just holding back, I wasn't contributing. And what he pointed out is you don't need to be the funniest person in the room. You don't need to have the smartest comeback in the room to make a contribution in a group setting. Sometimes just asking questions. And it's amazing how even asking questions can actually guide a conversation in different ways. So someone who may not be comfortable being out front can actually contribute by asking questions. I, n- I never forgot that. And I really appreciated him teaching that you don't have to be the most brilliant orator or you know the most assertive conversationalist to serve other people asking questions is a way that that we can do it and it's actually leading and serving isn't that servant leadership isn't that what we're here for isn't that what we're encouraged to do proverbs chapter 20 and verse 5 Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 5. We are we're striving to learn skills of of servant leadership. Well, here is one that is actually pretty easy to do. We all have the ability. We just have to have the desire to really be interested in other people. Do you have that? I I think we all do, but can we grow in it? Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 5. Notice <clears throat> notice in uh, Proverbs 20 and verse 5. Though good advice lies deep within a person's heart, the wise will draw it out. The wise have a way of drawing out other people, of, of, of helping them to contribute and getting to know them better and, and focusing on them. You ever notice that... Uh, you know, we don't really have the, the well, water wells that they used to have, where you had to actually lift the water out of the well. Now what do we do? We just turn the button or the spigot, and it's really easy. And maybe sometimes we lose the lesson that it actually takes effort to draw water out of a well, and it takes a little bit of effort to draw others out. It's not just like turning a switch. We're, we're lifting that heavy bucket up. But you get the, the cool, refreshing water as the reward. <clears throat> Notice in Matthew chapter 20, and verse 25, how focused are we on other people? Do we have the attitude of, of, of serving and being interested in other people and wanting to draw them out, to finding what makes them tick, finding out what really is important to them, what they've been doing this week, What were the challenges that they had on their job? What are the trials? What are the struggles that they are going through at home? Not getting too personal, maybe. But what are the things that they would like to share with us? You know, that's what we do at fellowship. We talk about what's important to us. But do we only think about what is up here, or do we try to draw others out? It's an attitude of service. Why did Jesus Christ come to earth? Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25. When Jesus called them together and said, You know that in this world kings are tyrants, and officials lorded over the people beneath them, but among you it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must become your slave. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Now, he's the king, and yet he came to serve. And we know he, the ultimate service, was giving his life. But what about every day of his life before he died? Was he not serving all that time? What was it that drew the crowds to Jesus Christ? Yes, the miracles. Yes, he fed them like we fed you all last night. It does help. um, But what was it that drew people to him? You know, if he was kind of aloof, if he didn't really like talking to people, if he didn't really like people, do you think the crowds would have gathered the way they did? If he wasn't interested in others... Do you think people would have been drawn to Him and, and thronged Him to, you know, in, 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 in ways that He sometimes couldn't get away from the crowd? I think the point is He was interested in others. Jesus Christ, He was interested in every single human being that He came in contact with, His created creation. That's the way He served. As a servant leader. What about us? What about us? Are we interested in others? Are we really interested in, in, in serving each other by caring about them and seeking to get to know them? It's a small thing, but really very profound if we think about it. Asking questions of other people is just one of the skills that we can learn. The article points out other skills that we can learn, and, and you can read that on your own. Uh, but the point here is that there are things we can do to learn the skill of building friendships. And one of them is having an attitude of service. Another key is to have an attitude of meekness. An attitude of meekness. You know, the Bible is filled with exhortations about having a meek and quiet spirit, of course, for the, to the ladies. That's found in 1 Peter chapter 3. But we also read that Moses was a meek man. The meekest man on the face of the earth. It's not just for the ladies. We also read that Jesus Christ himself typified meekness. So it's something that is good for all of us. The problem is meekness is somewhat of an enigma. Don't you think? It sounds too close to weakness, I think. For some of us men, maybe. Uh, You know, it sounds like I'm going to be weak if I'm meek. But it's very different. In our society today, no one wants to appear weak. Uh, You know, no one wants to take anything from anybody. You don't have to take anything from anybody. Uh, You can give it back to them. And yet, when we talk about friendships and relationships, does it really work to not take anything from anybody? What kind of fruit does that yield? Does it really work to always just be protecting our own ego? I think we all know. I think we've lived long enough to understand it doesn't work, does it? Meekness is actually crucial to building friendships. Romans chapter 12 and verse 14. Notice, Romans chapter 12, let's go over there. A serving, caring attitude might start a friendship, but unless we have meekness and humility, think about it, that friendship will never last, will it? Because inevitably we're going to have a conflict that we need to address our own ego. And if we're not willing to, we might even give up the friendship. And that's a sad thing, just because of our own ego. Romans chapter 12 and verse, uh, verse 14. It says, If people persecute you because you're a Christian, don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Again, that doesn't make sense to the world. You know, if someone curses you, you better curse them back, and you, you better double, right? So they don't, they don't do, it, do it back to you. But that's not what Christ said. He said, love them even if they treat you poorly. Love them even if they treat you bad. Verse 15, he says, when others are happy, be happy with them. If they're sad, share their sorrow. Live in harmony with each other. Don't try to act important, but enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Do things in such a way that everybody can see you are honorable. Do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Now that's not the message of the world, is it? Even when it comes to friendships. And think about how many friendships and relationships are trashed because this principle is not practiced. Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for it is written, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it, says the Lord. Instead, do what the Scriptures say. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink, and if they will be ashamed of what they have done to you. Don't let evil get the best of you, but conquer evil by doing good. Now, if we have to treat our enemies with good, what about our friends? Certainly we should treat them well as well, right? And yet sometimes it's easier to treat perfect strangers with better courtesy than it is those we know well. How good at forgiving are you? That's a skill too. And it takes meekness. How much is that a part of our life, a part of our character, a part of our, our pattern of living? of being easily entreated, of being forgiving. Another article from the handout from the Reader's Digest, How to Mend a Broken Friendship, shows the importance of meekness when conflict comes up. It says, Swallow your pride. It wasn't easy, but that's what Denise Moreland of Hickam Air Force Base in Hawaii did when a friendship turned sour. For nearly four months, Moreland, 45, had watched over Nora Huzenga's two young daughters who were living with their father on the base while Huzenga 40 completed training as a dental hygienist in Nevada, I felt honored to be asked to step in, Moreland said. When Huzenga returned at Christmas, Moreland recalls, I had so much to tell her, but she never called. I felt like I had been used, she says. At first, Moreland vowed to avoid Huzenga. They'd been close friends, and because of a slight, she basically made the decision I'm not going to talk to her again that's it now this is kind of a silly example in you know I mean it's a silly little thing it wasn't an earth shattering situation but isn't that the truth with our relationships are usually are are the 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 things that make us stumble in a friendship are they really the the big issues Or are they a little slight or perceived slight or offense? And if we're not careful, we think, well, I'm I'm just not going to talk to that person anymore. What we're saying is, I'm willing to let that friendship die to save my own ego. How much is a spirit of meekness, an attitude of meekness, how important is it in maintaining friendships do we have that skill? You know, that's, that's a pretty powerful thing to make a decision that a person is not worth our friendship or worth our time. It's really just about our pride, isn't it? <clears throat> you know, Jesus Christ wasn't too important to be slighted, to be mistreated, to be misunderstood by, guess who? Human beings. I mean, he, he was too important to be mistreated, but he put himself through it anyway. And yet again, before he was led to the slaughter because of the sin of human beings, he declared his friendship with us. Remember the night before he was to be executed? What did he tell his disciples? He said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Friends. But they were going to be just as guilty of his death as everyone else because of their sin. But he called them friends. Brethren, can we do any less with each other? Can we forgive one another? It's a necessary skill for true friendship. Going back to the article, it says, Then she, Moreland, decided to swallow her pride and let her friend know how she felt. Huzenga admitted that she'd been so worried about being separated from her family that she'd been blind to what her friend had done to help her. Today, she says, I would never have figured out what happened if Denise hadn't called me on it. When a friend hurts you, your instinct is to protect yourself. But that makes it harder to patch up problems, explains William Wilmot, author of Relational Communication. Most of us are relieved when differences are brought out in the open. Do you want your friendships to be resilient, to be tough as nails? Well, a requirement for that is an attitude of meekness. Isn't it ironic that an attitude of meekness actually makes us strong and gives us the ability to have strong, resilient, tough friendships, stable friendships that have a deep foundation? Proverbs twenty five twenty eight says a person without self control is as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. If we can't control our ego and our pride, we are weak. Very weak. And our friendships are going to suffer for it. Let's turn over to Colossians chapter three and verse eight. <clears throat> Colossians chapter three and verse eight. So how good are we at building friendships? How good are we? at having an attitude of service, at having an attitude of meekness. Because these these are foundational for having strong and stable and Christian friendships. Colossians 3 and verse 8, it says, "...but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old evil nature and all its wicked deeds." In its place, you have clothed yourselves with a brand-new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ, who created this new nature within you. Verse 12, Since God chose you to be the holy people whom He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The hallmark of, of really strong friendships. How, how do we measure up? You know, sometimes correction comes from a friend, a true friend. Proverbs 27, verse 6 Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The wounds of a friend are actually strengthening, aren't they? But they hurt. Do we have the meekness to take it when our friend? Tells us something that we need to hear, but is kind of, kind of difficult. So, brethren, how good are we at building relationships? You know, if we have learned to build a house, or build an electrical circuit, or uh, bake a cake, or uh, you know, paint, or draw, or write, or do accounting work, what about the skill of building friendships? Can we develop? There's another thing that we can talk about besides service and meekness and that is an attitude of respect, an attitude of respect. Strong and resilient solid Christian friendships take an attitude of respect. Let's turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1. <clears throat> An attitude of respect is also foundational to strong Christian friendships. First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, this is after David slew Goliath. says, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond of love between them, and they became the best of friends. And we know the story of David and Jonathan, how close they were, how strong their friendship was. From that day on, Saul kept David with him at the palace and wouldn't let him return home. Jonathan made a special vow to be David's friend, and he sealed the pact by giving him his robe, tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Strong friendship. One of the strongest friendships of the Bible in the whole story, in history, in in, in the, the story that we know. But what was the basis of their friendship? That they played backgammon together? that they grew up together, that they went to the same school. No, they they had respect for one another. You know the story how Jonathan had done certain feats himself. And so when David trusted God, was faithful to God, defeated the enemies of God, Jonathan respected that in David, didn't he? He respected what David had done And this forged the friendship. Tremendous respect for one another. They admired one another because of their character. And isn't it true when we see fellow Christians, when we get to know one another and we serve them, we care for them, we forgive them, we make allowances for them, and as we forge a friendship and as we get to know each other better, As we see the character of each other, we actually admire each other more, don't we? When we see each other go through trials and we see the focus and we see the intent and the perseverance, we admire one another more. And the friendship deepens and is, is strengthened. God wants us to see value in each other. Because he sees value in us. Do we respect each other in that way? You know, God sees our mistakes, He sees our shortcomings, the stupid things we do, but He sees tremendous potential as well. So much so that He is not ashamed to be called our brother. Think about that a minute. He's also not ashamed to be called our God. The Hebrews says both of those. Both of those phrases. He's not ashamed to be called our God. Not ashamed to be called our brother. In other words, he's giving us respect. <clears throat> what about us? Do we give each other that respect? If the, the being who created everything, the one who keeps the planets in motion, who created the sun and the stars and the moon and the heavens, if he looks down on us, These little specks of organism, organic material, you know. And he looks at us with respect. What does that say about how we should see one another? Do we see the potential of one another when we look at each other? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22 is a chilling reminder of that. That we need to admire one another. We need to see the potential. And it's dangerous when we come to the point where we look at another human being and we think of them as worthless, of not having value. Now, we don't consciously think that, but it may be in our attitude. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22. Jesus Christ said, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the counsel or thou worthless fellow. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Do we see value in one another? Because that's a foundational element of building strong friendships, isn't it? God doesn't want us to despise one another. He wants us to respect each other. You know, there are things that show respect between men and women, and then there are things that show disrespect. Today in the world, in a world without God, many men and women show no respect to one another. Even ones that call themselves friends... And you know, the word friends has even gotten a, a bad meaning today. Friend used to be a word that had a connotation as someone who supported you, someone who would defend you, someone who would stand back to back with you, right? Someone who would uphold your honor and defend your reputation. But think about it. Even the word friend has lost much of its meaning. Do you remember the TV show Friends a few years ago? What were they doing to support their friendship with each other? Sleeping with each other. Betraying one another. Totally destroying trust within one another. And yet they were called friends. And you know, it was amazing at the end of each episode, they were all happy, weren't they? The betrayal, the hurt feelings, the absolutely destroyed relationships, that wasn't shown. But they were friends, even though they had no respect for one another at all. Brethren, you know, we in the church of God have to have to take back certain words that have come to mean different things in this culture. And friends at one time meant someone who would defend other people and not take advantage of them. Not take them for granted and not hurt them. You know, even the term today, uncommitted people who have casual sex with one another, with no thought of staying together, what's that called? Friends with benefits. Friends with benefits. Those aren't friends. They're using one another. They are not friends. You know, in the church, we need to fashion a a, a strong culture of friendship. Friends meaning defending one another's honor, protecting one another, men and women. You know, friends don't put each other in compromising situations like being in a house or apartment or a room alone with one of the opposite sex. Friends don't do that because it leads to compromising situations. Friends don't play around with physical contact before marriage because friends understand that hand-holding, yes, I'm going to say something archaic, even hand-holding leads to what? more physical contact. Leads to kissing. And I know what kissing is, you know. I'm married, I understand. You know, we don't have to be too prudish here. But what does kissing lead to? Necking? Petting? What does petting lead to? Sexual intercourse. Okay? Friends understand that physical contact before a committed relationship of marriage leads to compromise and tears down friendships and does not support friendships and honor in one another. Brethren, we have to renew a spirit of what friendship really is. It's our responsibility to recapture the true values of friendship. If we don't do it, who's going to? The world is not. It's up to us. It's up to the church today. It's up to our generation. You know, the the issue of immodesty came up in uh, both Bible studies last night. I had the advantage over all of you. I actually got to see and hear some of both of them. So uh, that was, it was kind of helpful. But you know, in terms of immodesty, friends don't, Put stumbling blocks in front of friends. Friends support their friends' efforts to be pure and chaste and honorable. That's what friends do, isn't it? Friends help one another build up hedges, not tearing them down. Think about it. How good are you? How good am I at building friendships, at showing respect? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 notice 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 It says run away from sexual sin no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body or don't you know that your body is the temple of the holy spirit who lives in you and was given to you by god you do not belong to yourself For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Think about it. What was the price that God paid for you and for me? That's how much He respects us and the potential that we have. The price that He gave His only Son. Only begotten Son. And the same respect for one another is the foundation of strong, resilient, Godly Christian friendships. Now, where is this all leading? Well, we talked a lot about friendships, and I think that's appropriate, because that's what we are here. We're friends, we're Christians, we're growing together. But let's extrapolate something from this. When we're single, one common question we have is, how can I best prepare for marriage? We've all heard the saying, friends get married, right? Friends get married. What does this say about the importance of friendship? If we want to prepare for a great marriage, we start by learning to be a great friend, don't we? The very skills we're talking about, the same skills that are foundational in friendship are even more important in marriage. Look at what God says about husbands and wives. Notice 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 1. With the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. What's required of a wife? Well, the same thing that's required of a friend, isn't it? Being able to conquer pride and vanity and ego, being able to have a meek spirit. Just like Moses, just like Jesus Christ. You know, we're not putting down the ladies. We're saying it's the same thing that Moses and and Christ and all of us have to have. Husbands, verse 7, Likewise dwell with them with understanding, give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may, may not be hindered. What's required of a husband? Well, the same thing required of friends. Two things are actually here, that he not look down on her, but respect her. Did you notice that? He commands husbands to respect the wife, to honor her. And also that he consciously seek to serve her, to dwell with her with understanding. Isn't that what we were talking about before, about being interested in others? About trying not to just push our own will, but finding out what another person thinks and and what they like and, and what's going on in their mind? Being interested in others? Isn't that dwelling with understanding? That's a command. You know, it's interesting. We were reading the article before about clicking. The author of the book made a startling discovery when he tested these techniques in his marriage. He said this. Here is one uh, piece of advice. Meet someone where they are. The high self-monitor not only pays close attention to the other person, but complements that person's mood which builds trust. The author tried this himself and was surprised to find that it improved his marriage. As the chattier spouse, he might have normally just charged in and started talking whenever he and his wife Hillary were together. But then he began assessing where she was emotionally. If she was quiet, instead of asking her why she wasn't talking, which didn't seem to go over very well, he would just be quiet too. He says, the intimacy seemed to deepen between us from just that one simple thing. Trying to understand where she was emotionally. Dwelling with understanding. Verse 8, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender, hearted, be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Friendship building skills are marriage building skills. That's the hidden message of this sermon. Christian friendship, it's the same skills as marriage building as well. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18. Colossians chapter 3 in verse 18. So everything we've said thus far, we can apply it to marriage. We can apply it to getting along. We can apply it to understanding and, and developing a marriage relationship. He says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Do not be bitter towards them. Do not be unyielding. Do not be angry and get to the point where you won't forgive. Do not be hardened, but be meek. Isn't this saying to husbands to be meek? Do not be bitter, but being willing to let her make mistakes. As you know that you make mistakes as well. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 21. He says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know, as brethren, husbands, and wives submit to one another, both seek to serve each other, to extend themselves Uh, to care about the other, to be meek enough to say, I'm sorry and forgive, that's just a friendship skill just applied to marriage. Verse 22, "'Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything.'" Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. You know, Jesus Christ declared His love and friendship to the church, and He says husbands are commanded to love in the same way. And remember again what He told His disciples the last night before He died. He said, I no longer call you just servants, but friends. You know, gentlemen, wives are not just to cook and clean and cook and clean and uh, wash and all those things. They're not servants. Christ also said, I tell you everything because you're friends, I tell you everything that the Father told me. He was communicating. He was reaching out to them. And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Well, that means a husband also is going to be communicative, right? He's going to seek to connect to his wife as friends. <clears throat> you know, when we have small children, um, we have small children, and, and, and we, we try to downplay the whole thing of who, who is whose best friend. You know, Um, it it just leads to jealousy and and, and that sort of thing. I think uh, a lot of us see that, those of us who who have small children here. Um, Children become, when they are aware of friendships and relationships, in certain stages they become fixated on who is best friends with who. But you know, there is a time to have a best friend. It's when you get married. Who better to be your best friend than the one friend out of all the other people on the face of the earth? How many are there? Almost seven billion. Okay, seven billion people on the face of the earth, and we have in marriage committed to be a lifelong friend to one person. Who better to be your best friend than that? Are we really not committing to be their best friend? You know, singles, if you have the desire to be married, I hope you see that as a desirable goal as well, that you will consider your mate as your best friend and that you will marry your best friend. What better blessing on earth can there be than to commit to your best friend, to live together, be faithful to one another for life. You know, we'll always have other guy friends and other girlfriend's, but you know, they will come and go. And who will always be there for you? In better or worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or poorer, than your best friend. And God has blessed me with a tremendous blessing of having My best friend is my wife. It's an awesome blessing. Who takes care of you when you're flat on your back? Who would give their life for you and does give their life for you in service every day? But your mate. You know, if you are married, and if you don't consider your mate as your best friend, I hope you'll, you'll think about it and I hope you'll, you'll take these words as something to strengthen your friendship with him or her and strive to get closer to that ideal because it's something we can build. And that's what we're talking about today. No greater blessing on earth, I think, than to have a best friend as a husband or wife who has an attitude of service, attitude of meekness, and attitude of respect Let's go one step further before we close because I still have six minutes. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 25. As great as the rewards of friendship and marriage are, there is something even better, isn't there? What are we really preparing for? Why are we struggling and striving and fighting against our carnal nature? Well, friendships can last a long time, marriage can last a lifetime and is designed to do so, but our relationship with God, our relationship with God and Jesus Christ and His family, lasts forever. The friendship with God lasts forever. Notice Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. He said, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a trip. He called together his servants and gave them money to invest for him while he was gone. He gave five bags of gold to one, two bags of gold to another, and one bag of gold to the last. Now, let's relate this to the gifts we have, the spiritual gifts, you know. We may not be the best friendship maker in the room, okay? But what is the lesson of this parable? Not where we start, but where we end. Not what we're given, but what we build with it. He said he gave five to one, two to one, and and, uh, one to the other, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of gold began immediately to invest the money and soon doubled it. The servant with two bags of gold also went right to work and doubled the money. But the servant who received one bag of gold dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money for safekeeping. You know, he decided, I'm just not that good at making friends. I'm not good at it. So I'll just bury this in the ground. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give account of how they had used his money. And you know the whole story. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags said, Sir, you gave me five, and I have doubled the amount. The master was full of praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling a small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Why did the master give him more responsibility because let's take the example of the spiritual gift of friendship you know if we're ruling over cities let's say we have a hundred thousand people over in a in a city we're ruling over in the millennium are we not going to need to care about them are we not going to need to want to be the friend of those that we serve are we not going to need an attitude of service and meekness, and respect. We do it a little, with a little now. God is going to give us all kinds of opportunities in the future. Next came the servant who had received the two bags of gold with the report. You know the story. We'll skip through there. Then, verse 24, Then the servant with the one bag of gold came and said, Sir, I know you are a hard man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. And isn't it true that oftentimes things like extending ourselves in friendship we don't do because we're afraid? We can conquer our fear by having an attitude of service, attitude of meekness, attitude of respect. He says, "...the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. You think I'm a hard man, harvesting crops I didn't plant and gathering crops I didn't cultivate. Well, you should have at least put my money into the bank. Take the money from this servant, give it to the ones with the ten bag of gold, to those who use well what they are given. Even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who are unfaithful, even what little they have will be taken away." You know, brethren, we have been given so much, haven't we? And God wants us to use the precious gifts that He has showered upon us so bountifully in our relationships today, in our marriages, but ultimately so that we can be a tool for the whole world. You know, Abraham was called the friend of God. It's hard to imagine a, a greater honor than being called the friend of God, God who sits on his throne at the third heaven and actually calls a human being, my friend. Brethren, let's understand the importance of friendships, how we grow in service and meekness and respect, how we can develop our ability to be a true Christian friend to each other to our mate, and ultimately to the whole world.